Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, Ambassador of 805 Connect and your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University's School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and encouragement. Thanks to our podcasting partner, Pullstring Press, for this great studio, and to Patrick, my co-host. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Mark. Going strong this morning. Patrick, I want you to meet Ken Saxon. Hi, Ken, Ken, how are you? I'm great. Happy to be here. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here. You're the president of Leading From Within. How long have you been doing that here in Santa Barbara? So um, we, about eight years ago, uh, I started a, a program called uh, Courage to Lead. Okay. And it's a, uh, a retreat-based program where we're trying to really uh, invest in and connect uh, our many wonderful nonprofit leaders. In many ways, it's a it's a peer group program where they get to know each other really well. Uh, rather, th- and t- we're trying to break through the paradigm of competition and scarcity to get to a point where they can really support each other. And uh, we've now had 140 executive directors uh, from around Southern California go through that year-long program. And that was really the beginning of Leading From Within. Is it like a mastermind? Uh, in some ways, but there's, a, there's, a, there's definitely a format. Uh, it's based upon the, uh, the work. There's an organization, a national group called the Center for Courage and Renewal, and a fellow named Parker Palmer, who, uh, who created this model for uh, professional leaders to come together on a quarterly basis, on a seasonal basis, uh, for several days, and it's a process where they are uh, supported in doing things that's hard to find time to do, which is uh, reflection, uh, listening to themselves, uh, really uh, building trusted uh, relationships with peers, uh, envisioning, and also something that people on the nonprofit sector have a really hard time doing, which is taking care of themselves. <laughs> They're so passionate about taking care of other people. And often they, they, they get in a habit of, I call it a, the martyr syndrome, of, of putting right, a, their right. own needs last. And that works for a while because they're so passionate about the work. But at some point, uh, you start to experience things like burnout and cynicism and exhaustion. And those things don't make you an inspiring right. leader, right? How do you, what's your, what's the coaching to battling overwhelm? Well, for for me in, in my own life, I you know I was a business entrepreneur, and then a, now I you went to Stanford, right? I went to business school at Stanford, right? Thirty years ago. Wow. Gosh, that makes me sound old. <laughs> you <laughs> don't <laughs> wise. You don't. Wise. It doesn't look more than twenty nine <laughs> years ago that you went. Yes. Uh, yeah. But you know, having had that entrepreneurial uh, experience, you know, which I I could really relate to um, uh, many of these executive directors. They're they're kind of like I was as a small company business guy. They're generalists. They have to wear a lot of hats mm-hmm. and sure. do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And, sure. and the work is never, you know, the work starts from when you wake up in the morning and, and, and when you go, it ends when you go to bed at night and your head is always spinning. So it starts uh, by by stopping, by taking a It starts pause. by stopping. It starts oh. by stopping. Ooh, I like that. And <laughs> that that's good. It's, it's, hard, it's hard because uh, given the jobs that uh, these folks have, and I certainly remember this as an entrepreneur and, and even today as a, running a nonprofit, that there's so much more to do than I have time to do. Right. 
So I, it's so easy to get caught up in my to-do list that never, I never get to the bottom. So it, it starts by a commitment to stopping, pausing, and people do that lots of different ways. You know, some people do that through meditation. Some people do that through uh, spending time in nature or uh, with an animal. Or there's, there's lots of ways, but, but that commitment is where it begins. We've talked a lot about meditation on the show. Mm -hmm. We've had some really interesting conversations about that as it being foundational. And if you're not doing it, stop listening to this right now. Go at a minimum download Headspace and start uh, meditating 10 minutes a day. I think one of the things I find very paradoxical but really cool is that there's so many of these practices that are thousands and thousands of years old. And I feel like in 2016, they've never been more relevant and mm. never mm -hmm. been more needed. Right. And today, um, you know, technology has enabled us to be super productive and constantly distracted. Mm. And that's that combination of things means that uh, we need these tools today more than we've ever need them, I, I think. We, uh, uh, Clay Shirky calls it continuous partial attention. Mm -hmm. I, I, and of course, I... I have two 21-year-old children, mm. and I've watched them. Uh, you know, I, I I almost never see them do one thing at a time. Hmm. You know, so it, it's it's almost like we're are they we're, girls? One of each. A boy. We have oh. boy-girl twins. Oh. And it's 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 almost like we're doing an experiment on our species, and we'll we'll all just see together how it turns out. <laughs> That's why we have children. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I remember that. Book, is it Nicholas Carr wrote the book Sha the, Sha the Shallows? But it's talking yes. about what the internet is doing to our brains, and uh -huh. he he make he talks about how uh, changing technology over history has has our our brains have evolved to keep up with the changing technology, but it's just happening so quickly now. So I guess we'll see. Do you think there's a difference in the leadership, the skills we need uh, to be a leader in a nonprofit versus? Uh, for-profit because we have we have both types of people listening whether they're a leader they're soon to be leader they're an entrepreneur they're doing a startup they're involved in we kind of run the gamut and and by the way just so you know they're not just here in the region the people listening to the show mm -hmm. there are 47 countries um, that's amazing it, it's it's so welcome it, to the world of podcasts you know, well exactly right so that's where and we talk about leadership a lot and what are the traits as a leader. So I'm curious, you have spent this time with nonprofit leaders, but I'm curious, is there anything different? So this discussion comes up in nonprofit a lot because uh, you know, many of them have business people on their boards and, and they're oh, always trying to right. figure out what is uh, relevant uh, from, from business. So my, my belief is that, um, is that it's mostly similar. So let's talk about some of the things that are uh, the same. First of all, you have people, and you have to figure out how to get the most out of people. Right. Uh, you know, the, the, the difference is that uh, in nonprofit, many of those people aren't paid. They're, they're, they're in there for another kind of compensation. They, maybe they want to learn, or they want to feel a sense of meaning, or they want to connect sure. with people. So it's not quite, you can't, you can't just throw more stock options at them, mm. you know, like we could do in, uh, up in Silicon Valley. So uh, you have made, sometimes you have to be a little bit more thoughtful about what it is people want and making sure they're getting it. But still, motivating people and keeping them wanting to come back uh, uh, is very uh, similar. You have a financial bottom line, absolutely um, uh, similar. You cannot yeah. run a nonprofit organization and be around tomorrow if you cannot right. uh, uh, manage uh, uh, a bottom line. 
And for me, um, all the systems I learned when I was selling in my business, uh, I have used again uh, in fundraising. I mean, development is sales. Absolutely. It's, and and under, so it, it goes back to understanding uh, the customer and what is it they're looking for in this transaction and figuring out how to communicate and market what it is you're offering in a way that they can say yes to it. So all those things are very um, similar. Uh, a couple of things that are different and I think in some ways more challenging in nonprofit uh, are one is uh, in nonprofit you have multiple bottom lines to manage. So you can you can how you can that? have your your financial bottom line and break even, but you also are trying to make a social impact. If you if you mm. break even but you're not succeeding in making the the social impact the mission the mission then you are failing. In my business, I just had to figure out how to make more money next year than I did this year. But in nonprofit, uh, you, you have to deal with a social bottom line as well as a uh, financial bottom line. So let's then take that to um, this newly, newly or the last five, ten years, the idea of a social entrepreneur. Yeah, I, 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 I am a sort of a student of that. I'm trying to, really? uh, to I'm trying to understand that be, uh, because I, I'm so inspired. The, the, the young, I, I run a, lot, a number of leadership programs for emerging leaders, people in their 20s and 30s and early 40s. And the younger you are, the less you see these lines, you know, between business and government oh. and nonprofit. It's, everything's a hybrid and social business is one of these things. I also, though, have the belief that just running a business successfully is hard. So running a business success successfully and making a social impact is harder. You know, that's, that's uh, um, uh, there, there's, there's things that where, where sometimes the, the business bottom line and the social bottom line work against each other. And so I think it's gotta be, I think it's gotta be really hard to run a social business successfully and sustain it and to be making the social impact that you wanna make. You know, there's lots of people who do it it's kind of lip service or it's just right. a marketing thing. Right. But if you're really trying to make a business, have a business bottom line and a social impact, I think that's challenging. You know, I hadn't actually considered it that way that the, that there were two different outcomes because I, I'm <laughs> very inspired by, you know, mission and purpose and why. Mm -hmm. And we talk a lot about that on the show. And I think that's even more pronounced in that kind of business. It's like, we're here, for a why, and the why isn't make money, right? But but, on but the you other, do if, if you're not to, making you, money, right, right, then you've right. got a you've got a problem. What you're not somebody be said, no tomorrow. no money, no mission. That's mm. exactly right. Right. The the other uh, thing that's I think more challenging in a nonprofit is, and this is the structure. You know, the nonprofit is really just a tax status. Yeah, it's a it's a five hundred one. Right. And and almost everyone who applies for a five hundred one c three license from the, the IRS gets one. They're not the IRS is not in the business of saying your service is not needed for other people do that in your community. So you're going to get your 501c3. So from that, but from that point, you know, nonprofits traditionally were sort of grassroots volunteer organizations, and they've evolved over the last hundred years in this country to be pretty, some of them are pretty uh, much ongoing businesses. They're pretty corporate. And yet the governance structure still says that you are going to report as the CEO to a board that is made up of volunteers. And that, in reality, I, I hear more co complaints in the nonprofit sector, sector about how boards work mm -hmm. and whether boards are working and, if, if, and boards that are actually getting in the way more than they're facilitating the mission. 
uh, that's something that I haven't come up with a great solution to it, but yeah, it's well a structure that needs yeah. to evolve. What is there? Is there another format of because? And that's the other thing is we only have five hundred one c threes. We don't have you, you know what I mean. Like we don't have what are the other versions of this in another country that might work as how do you set up an organization or an institution that operates uh, without a ta tax liability but yet is doing this kind of work um, you know they used to be called charities or they used to be you know like or, or a church or you know but it's like what what else could we call what how else could we structure it so that there wasn't because every 501c3 in the country has to have a board that board can't receive funds from the 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 business that's being done by the 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 501c3 so what else could we do because it seems like we just have that one solution and we've never checked or never done anything else well it's ostensibly the board is there to protect the interests of the of the community sure so the board is there to to make sure that the uh, money's being spent well and that this organization that's getting this tax benefit uh, is is using its resources responsibly for the benefit of the community but in reality you know the way it often works is somebody starts a nonprofit and they're uh, really passionate and the people who step up um, are people who really just want to support that person and do what they doing what they do and by the way the, the board members are in love with the program the way it is mm -hmm. and it's it's hard for those kinds of boards to transition to boards that are more I hesitate to say corporate because there's been so many bad stories about uh, corporate boards as well. That's another uh, set right. structure right. that is currently that is, going on at Viacom right now. Uh, that is the... really flawed. Yeah. So I know in our organization, when we set leading from within up, we went out and we uh, spent a bunch of time thinking about what are the key conversations we're going to need to have at the board table um, to uh, to help us figure out how to advance our mission successfully, mm -hmm. and then what are the voices the kinds of voices that we need around the table to make sure that we can have really generative discussions. And those are the people that we went out and really intentionally uh, recruited. And there are a number of organizations in this community that have amazing uh, nonprofits that year after year have amazing boards, whether it's the uh, Cottage Hospital, uh, Direct Relief International, the Scholarship Foundation of Santa Barbara, where they've figured out uh, how to build a board culture mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that year in and year out supports their, um, uh, their team in getting the job done. And of course, their most important job is, is hiring, firing, managing the, the CEO or the executive right. director, mm -hmm. and then uh, making sure that the organization uh, has a strategic vision uh, that uh, is, is, is current uh, and worth following. Sometimes it feels like the board is just let's get rich people in the room who can who know other rich people. It feels like that sometimes. And I, I like the deliberate nature that you had, which was it's kind of the way we approach TEDx mm -hmm. is don't look for the speaker, look for the idea. Okay. Mm. Find the idea and then go find who's the perfect vehicle to transmit that idea. Well, there's a there's a lot of ideas in the in the uh, in the world. So how do how do you, how do you then uh, pick the idea? We we network, we talk. I mean, yeah. we we look at. Um, I mean, with us this year, it's what if. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about possibility, mm -hmm. and we look at um, lots of different realms of those. You know, technology, entertainment, design. We think about that. We think about science. We think about personal growth. We're a lot of different areas. You could say all the ideas have already been talked about, but we're looking at them through different lenses. But it's interesting the way you built the board, which yeah. is uh, I hadn't considered it that way. Um, what were they? Um, we, well, we built a board for uh, our our software company, mm -hmm. and someone told me early. He said it's uh, wealth, wit, wisdom, and work. 
Those were the W's that you would look for. Those are your kind of your criteria. Pick two. <laughs> for, for each, each for person, each person, brings, each person the, like they, mm-hmm. they might have the wealth and, and links to wealth. Um, they may have wit. I mean, they're just good to have around yeah. and they're smart. They have the wisdom. They've been there, done that. They can mentor you or they'll do the work. They'll be on a committee. They'll, they'll show up. They'll help you. They'll do the heavy lifting for you. And, and I've, that's always stuck with me. It was a simple conversation. It was a pick two of them. That, that, is a, that, is a, that is a great rubric. You know, one of the challenges for nonprofit board members, and I've been on a number of boards in this community, is that um, so often the reason someone joins a board and what organizations have them do when they once they've joined the board are, are so far apart. Sometimes right. somebody right. joins right. a board because they want to uh, learn about this uh, cause or they want to engage in interesting discussions. And then you start showing up at a board meeting and it's, it's uh, here's the finance report and here's the uh, you know whatever report and there's no generative dialogue there's nothing meaty to uh, to chew on. How do you when you're evaluating when somebody's approached you and said hey we'd like you to become a part of the board what are the things you go through to evaluate whether or not you want to want to give your time to that? Yeah. That that's a great question and uh, in this in this community uh, a lot of people are in that situation and it's something I think we need to talk about more. Yeah. Um, I, I had a really good piece of advice that was given to me 20 years ago when I moved to this community and I was asked uh, I was looking to join my first uh, board. And I met this woman who lived in Pasadena who was uh, on uh, the hospital board down there in Pasadena. And what she said to me is, is, you know, I was looking at all these causes. What causes am I most excited about? And the reality is there's a lot of causes that I'm excited sure, about. Sure. Um, and what she said is, is uh, when, when she looks at joining a board, uh, rather than focusing on the cause, she focuses on the, the people and the culture. Mm-hmm. And, and she said that that's what's sustainable. And I, and I have I really found that to be true. Uh, at some point in most organizations, you get to a very difficult place. And if you're in a place where you like the people mm-hmm. and, the, and it's a functional culture, you like the staff leadership, you like the board leadership, and you're working well together, those are the, that's the time when you you'll would be willing to stay in the game and work really hard. And uh, I've also been, I've been on one board in this community that I won't mention where I love the mission of the organization. And I, I mean, I was just miserable at every single meeting mm-hmm. that I went to. Mm-hmm. And, it's the, and I, as a volunteer, and as a volunteer, oh my gosh, why I'm, in, I'm like, not even getting paid to suffer. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But I sometimes I would wonder, how is it that I can love so much what this organization does, mm-hmm. and I can hate coming to these board meetings so much? And that happens. Uh, that happens in a lot of organizations. You know, part of it is that a lot of nonprofits are, get so focused on just keeping the doors open mm-hmm. and keeping their program going and just raising the money to, to deal with tomorrow or next month that they're not really focused on the more interesting questions uh, uh, that are, you know, where are we headed down the road? And they, they're not really focused on how can we uh, motivate our board to want to engage more and give more and, and participate more. They're just focused on uh, the crisis of the, of the week. So I'm going to guess that having that direct personal experience colors how you teach. Oh, uh, I, I, that, that's so incredibly uh, true. Uh, in, this, in this environment, my, my whole um, methodology, whether I'm running a board or, or in my classes, is, is about 
what I call generative dialogue. It's about Gen how, uh, generative or, or, or generative community. Really, is what I call it. Uh, but the question is, how can you hold this space in a way that good stuff gets generated? What stuff? Uh, uh, I ideas, uh, creativity, innovation, energy, passion. Because we all know that there's lots of ways to hold a classroom space or a board space that leads to the opposite of all those things. Right. So I mm, want mm. I want the board members or I want the students in our classes uh, to come and want to really fully engage. In, in the board's case, it's going to benefit uh, the organization more to have these people give more of what they have. And in, in the classroom case, uh, the, certainly the more the students engage, uh, the more that they're going to um, uh, get out of the development experience, the more they're going to grow. And so we do everything we do, you know, we do in a, in a circle uh, with, with uh, uh, invitations for everyone to participate in many ways. We, we, I don't think we do almost anything in our programs that is lecture uh, hmm. from hmm. the front of the room. Uh, because the reality is all these people are in our leadership programs are professionals. They, they have uh, plenty going on in their workday to bring into the class that brings alive. So, right. we, so we bring in facilitators and people to, to, to hold that space. But we're really uh, trying to uh, engage them and get them talking to each other. You know, when the program's over, it's going to be the relationships that these yeah, people yeah. have built between them. I bet them that alumni to, is fantastic. Our alumni networks are so vibrant. Right. And, and, you know, in many leadership programs, you know, they say, you know, the program ends and they say uh, uh, goodbye. And, and you know how everybody says to each other, we're going to stay in touch. We're we'll gonna, have lunch. Yeah. <laughs> it's a summer camp. It's a summer camp. But it, it just sort of doesn't happen because we're so busy. But, but uh, at Leading From Within, we part of our mission is to continue to cultivate these networks. We have... 300 uh, social sector leaders here in Santa Barbara County who are part of our alumni networks. And we want to keep them uh, engaging in that kind of generative community in a way that not only serves them individually and serves their organizations, but ultimately we think better solutions will emerge for the community from those uh, relationships. With the nonprofit sector being such a big part of what's happening here, that, that is very true. Let me ask a uh, a question our, our listener might be thinking right now is, they said, gosh, am I a leader? How, does, how do you know if you're a leader? Again, another really uh, terrific question, and it's something that I've learned over time is particularly working with these emerging leaders is that many of them do not identify with the term. Hmm. And oh, so really? the, the, the first thing, one of the first things we do in our emerging leaders uh, program is to um, we run them through an exercise. Uh, I'm trying to remember uh, exactly what it's called, but really where, where they, they help to make something happen uh, that was important to them. We don't, we don't use the language of leadership. And then we have them... Oh, really? At the, at the beginning, we don't. And we, and we have them diagram it, and then we ultimately show them, well, actually, those are the steps and stages of what is uh, a leader. Because I, I believe that leadership is a choice. Hmm. And then leadership is a, a relationship. But, you know, if you, our emerging leaders are all at this place where they have the opportunities to step up, step up and say yes, step up right. and, right. and um, you know, maybe choose to uh, engage a group of people or, or go to the next level or get involved in something in the community, or they can choose to stay in their comfort zone. 
and we're, we're we try to provide an environment that gives them uh, where they end up having more willingness to take the risk, and then they can come back to our classes and talk about what's going on, talk about uh, what happened, how it's going, what didn't work, you know, if they fell on their face, and how sure. could they how could they do that uh, better. It sounds like you're 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 making a case for the idea that um, because I think there's this misnomer that there's one leader, there's a leader in a room or at a at a boardroom there or you know at, at on the board there is a leader who's in charge of things and then the rest of us are just there to give our our two cents. But you're saying uh, that leadership is not isolated to one specific person or or their activity on the board, but instead to say like everybody is going to have moments or part of the leadership role. I mean, my I start with the premise. I really felt this way in my company. So we had uh, uh, we we got up to about a hundred employees when I built my business uh, with my partner, and um, I felt that uh, every day our people uh, who could come and show up, and they could give us three percent of what they might potentially give us, or they could give us thirty percent of what they might potentially give us, and and the difference is ten x, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And so my job was to figure out how to how to hold that space uh, in their day and to make sure that they have the resources they need and that they're working with people that they like working with and they're they understand their role and the importance in the mission such that they're going to get closer to that 30 percent or three percent. So it it starts with that. And in the social sector, it's even more so in the nonprofit sector, because you have all these volunteers mm-hmm. who can just choose not to. You know, my employees kind of had to show up, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but your volunteers. Volunteers and your board members and don't your donors—they yeah. don't have to come in. Yeah. When, and you said in, uh, very early on that the thing that's the same between leadership and nonprofit and for-profit is how do you get the most out of your people? How do you motivate them? And I, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, you're going to that person giving? I'm getting three percent, or I'm getting thirty percent, and that's a ten x. And I would think if someone shows up and I'm only getting thirty percent, we're, we're going to have to have a talk because yeah. I want to want more than that. You said, when you said leadership is a choice, it, it got me thinking about a guest we've had on the show, um, retired Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann, Green Beret. Um, he is leading a national cause called Mission America to connect veterans back in when they come back from uh, the war, but also to uh, go out and be aware of ISIL and and what are the kinds of things we can do. So it's it's a big deal. He talks he talks about this thing called when you're tapped on the shoulder. Hmm. Life taps you on the shoulder, and it's at that point you make the choice. You've just been tapped on the shoulder. You were aware of a problem, you have a unique ability to solve it, or you've been tapped to step up and lead or you've been there's that how we react to that tap on the shoulder you i i I think that's uh i love the language of that uh the uh, someone who's written a lot about this in the last few years is david brooks the new york times columnist Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he talks about i think about this working with emerging leaders and also having two kids in college but that we don't serve our children well by just say find your passion find your passion Mm -hmm. He, he says, you know, you're, at this point, you don't even necessarily know who you are. But basically, he says, when you look at people looking back at their life and you ask them what had the most meaning, it's when they got the tap on the shoulder. Right. Sometimes it could be um, um, something that, um, you know, when a family member got sick 
Hmm. And that and then leads to this solution that leads to this business or there's all kinds of ways we get tapped on the shoulder. But but it it's uh, you know Steve Jobs said that in his amazing commencement address. He right. said you can't connect the dots in your life prospectively. Hmm. You can only connect the dots looking backwards at your uh, at your life. And I think that tap on the shoulder is something we, we in our retreats, we have a lot of people who are reflecting back on their lives and how they got called into the journey they got called. And more often than not, uh, a lot of times, actually, it's a negative experience uh, where they got tapped on the shoulder, but it led them to want to go fix something or change something. How do you, yeah, as a father who's got two 21-year-olds, how do you empower them to be, what what kind of advice are you giving them to be ready for for that or, or preparing them? If, 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 if it's not to push them towards, okay, there's one passion, figure out what it is, and then you won't have to work, everything will just be passionate. Like, what are you telling them? You know, they're both in college, and what do they studying and are, and are they listening or are they is, is there do you have good dialogue about stuff just oh, like this do, do children ever listen to the podcast of their parents no never no, they, they <laughs> no that's what your parents need to podcast yeah, yeah. then the kids would listen okay. <laughs> yeah um you know i mean part of this is my own thing i i i uh, i am full of great advice sure. that i spend a lot of time trying not to proactively uh, provide my children when not asked and i fail at that uh, uh, very often huh. Uh, but I have, you know, uh, watched my kids over many years and seen uh, uh, their interests uh, 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 grow, and then try to uh, encourage them in that. So our our daughter, when she w- went to Santa Barbara Middle School, a wonderful uh, local institution, yeah. when she was in ninth grade, they have everyone volunteer for a week. They have an yep. internship at yep. a nonprofit, and she volunteered at the Friendship Center. Mm. So she worked uh, with people who have. Uh, Alzheimer's and other forms mm, of dementia. Mm, mm. Now, most nine-year-old, ninth-grade kids are going to uh, have that experience and maybe feel a sense of meaning and move on. But my daughter found a calling. Hmm. She loves working with her elders to start hmm. with. She also uh, is clear now that she wants to go into nursing. She thinks she wants to go into geriatric nursing, which mm-hmm. as an aging middle-aged guy, I think, how cool would it be to have a daughter who's a geriatric nurse? Sure. I think I think my only job is just to stay on her good side. So want, <laughs> want to take care of me. So, so I, I have definitely helped to introduce her to people uh, around me, people in my programs who share those kinds of interests, who are uh, work with seniors or who with with nursing. This summer, she's working at the at the East Side Medical Clinic uh, hmm. over there on uh, on Milpa Street. Uh, getting to work in the medical community and user Spanish, and hmm. so uh, that's that's one example. Our our son uh, has always uh, he has so he's a very entrepreneurial guy, and he has lots of interests, and he's a writer and musician, but he also really connects with kids, and he also has had this intuition for quite a while that he might want to be a teacher. Hmm. So now that he's hmm. starting to think about a year from now, what might he do when he gets out of college? Uh, this summer, he's going to be working at a charter school in Los Angeles and getting the experience where he can really see, do I like this? Do I not like this? Right. Is this the right environment You know, where he can try things out? It's such a tricky thing to, um, this is a lot of philosophers will talk about letting the 18-year-old version of you pick your, your 40-year-old version career. So, so if, you, if you imagine your, your 18, 19-year-old uh, making a decision for a 40-year-old, but it's them that they're making it for. So that, that, that making that choice at 18 or 19 mm. that, that will be a path for the rest of you know, your life is such an odd thing to turn back and say. If you, you at, at, at you know, however old you are right now to turn back and say, I'm going to go ask an 18-year-old who just graduated high school their best advice on career path. Would I do that? 
And would I even trust the 18-year-old version of myself to pick a, pe- a career path for me? And I, I often look back at that 18-year-old long-haired, uh, listening to Nirvana, uh, you know, living in Washington, Seattle area, you know, like picking a, a path for myself, thinking, oh, he was an idiot. <laughs> I wouldn't trust him. Well, well so I, I was asked, I gave a talk at UCSB to 200 freshmen about, mm. uh, they asked me to speak on the value of a liberal arts education. Because I, I, nice. I was a European history major. I believe in the liberal arts. My kids are having a liberal arts experience. And one of the things I told them is I, I, I told them about seven things that I had done in the, at the time, the 25 or 30 years since college. And I told them that when I graduated college, not one of those seven things was even an inkling in my head. Yeah, right. I did not know that mm. any of those seven things even existed. So the thought that you're going to ask, it, I, don't, I, I love uh, the Scholarship Foundation. is a great organization in this community. I was uh, on their board and board president for a number of years. But I don't like that they, they do this to match people with scholarship donors, but they're sure. asking these 18-year-olds, what do you want to do professionally? So and I went to preschool graduation for my niece. She's, oh. she's five. And they line them all up on the, on the stage. They sing some songs. And then they go down the row and they ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And listening to them rattle off, and, and most of them are repeating uh, whatever their, their parent profession is, whatever they've seen at home, because they understand that's what you do for a li- That is a job that you would have, maybe four or five policemen. But so then you imagine that. What if you get locked in at five? <laughs> what if at five you say, I, well, I really want to be a police officer, and then you start, and, and that just you know snowballs into this, like, and like you're saying, how about we give you the skills to make good choices rather than just mm, the one choice mm. to get to, so that by the time you finish, and that's uh, liberal arts, I totally agree that, that that is a beautiful education for people, and they should not specialize necessarily. That's yeah, not an obligation. No, they no. shouldn't. Of course, our culture is, you know, has been working in the opposite direction, right. and particularly since the financial crisis of yes. 2007, yes. 2008. There's more pressure than ever, and I think understandably from, uh, from parents just to start with uh, to get on track to find uh, a job. And, of course, the other thing that's happened is college has become ridiculously expensive. Right. And uh, very vocationally driven. Well, very, uh, you know, like that's where the market is. Right, right. That's very much where the market is. But it's interesting. If you look, there, there, there is very little research on the outcomes of higher education because colleges don't seem to want to support that. But one of the th- when you look at the data, what you'll see is people who are in un- undergraduate business programs, they actually have the, the least satisfaction and the least growth hmm. with their in, uh, um, from their college education than students who go in a liberal arts direction. Huh. Believe it. There is a um, the interesting piece here. We talked about eighteen year olds. Should I trust them? And the eighteen year old <laughs> would say, "Don't trust anyone over 30. Right, right. And now at sixty, I'm thinking thirty year olds. Why would I? Why would yeah. I listen? You're just getting so started just, at thirty. Just getting stuff figured out at thirty. No, exactly. And the other piece that's interesting is this discussion of does the preschooler know, but we, I've done a little bit of work in this area and they say they kind of have a good sense, a lot of them before they're seven. Hmm. Um, They have a good, there's a, there's something in there. And we've talked to a lot of people on the show, we'll ask, you know, where was that inflection point? Um, Back to Scott Mann, Mm. uh, Mm -hmm. his was when he was eight years old, going into a diner and seeing a Green Beret. And that was it, he wanted to be that guy. And a lot of, if you ask that question of people, they're either the ones who know exactly when it was, or there was a there was a tap on the shoulder moment hmm. that was different. That, what was it for you? 
Well, so my my journey has been one of. Uh, I mean, I, I as a as a kid, I was very. Uh, I was I was bright academically, but I was very uh, introverted. Hmm. And it, it turned out in my uh, it was in my early twenties that I had my first experience with uh, personal development. So in my case, I did what people had done for decades. Somebody suggested, uh, "Have you ever heard of the Dale Carnegie program?" So you know, Carnegie's been around for seventy-five yep. years or whatever. Yep. How to win friends and influence people, yep. public speaking. But um, I I went in that program. I was living in Dallas, Texas. I was working for a big real estate developer, and um, all of a sudden, uh, um, I started to emerge in a way that got uh, got feedback from my peers. That was a that was a, I was seeing things in myself that I didn't even know was there, and I, I realized that. Uh, I, I really had to get out of my comfort zone and get more on my edge uh, and get more and, and better understand myself so that I could bring more of myself to whatever I was interested in. And so then I went to grad school at Stanford and they have this class for 40 some years. It's still the most popular class at Stanford Business School. It, Which it's, is? It's called interpersonal dynamics, but everybody calls it touchy feely. <laughs> and, and what this class is, it's a 12 week. I don't know if you've ever heard of the term T group. Uh, T groups were these encounter group model. It came out of, uh, um, there was something called national training uh, laboratories in the 50s. But uh, basically, you, you are with a group of, uh, of people, maybe 12 or 14 people for 12 weeks, and you spending a lot of time together. And the only thing you can talk about hmm. is what's going on right here and now uh, between you all. And, and huh. at the end of this experience, you get the most powerful feedback of your life. But what I, what I have thought about this experience over the years is there's very few people who can give you that quality of feedback, and they won't give it to you because it feels too risky. You know, right. your your family member, your spouse. That's your, it. Is touchy feely, right? That's yeah. exactly. But but this group is all about. But that's the uh, real. That's the meaty stuff. That's the meaty. Right. Uh, stuff. That's what. Uh, so you, you were giving an example of something I learned that changed my life. So what I was, was that? I was in this group, and uh, one of the women who was a classmate of mine, and I considered a close friend. Um, um, I. I would have these. Uh, one of part of my nature at the time was that I would, uh, I would really pay attention to what was going on in the group, and I thought really hard about it. And I, I didn't speak very much, and so people then could just uh, interpret whatever was going on inside of me. And sometimes I would have this intensity, uh, just really paying attention. And she, she at some point in the in in the process said to me, you know, I feel like you're mad at me. You know, mm. this person who I loved and just uh, I felt really strongly about. It. And I, I learned through this whole process that I have these what somebody said, I have very loud silences and that I have a responsibility to if I want to have good relationships, I have to be transparent. I have to so that when I had my coming out of business school, I developed a business partnership. It's been with who's the guy who's been my best friend for 25 years. We had a very successful uh, business journey together, and I, I knew that I had to tell him what I was thinking. Because you know, he couldn't read your mind. Because he can't read my mind. Yeah. And same thing in my marriage and in other formative relationships. That's really important piece of information for that me to get. nobody had taught you in any of your childhood, in your, you nope. know, ever anywhere else. Nope. Huh. So it's, it's powerful stuff. So when I was building my business in Silicon Valley, I actually went back three times and helped to teach that class. I just, I, oh, I, I really? just, I just caught the self-development, wow. personal development. Wow, wow. Bug. I, I, I really believe that personal development is leadership development and leadership yep. development is personal development. Yep. There's yep. no, there's no, no you're, distinction. You're absolutely right. And, and how do you correlate then satisfaction to that? Like satisfaction in self. 
because it seems like what you're also describing is feeling very good about what you're doing, feeling feeling satisfied or. Well, you know, uh, there's a wonderful quote uh, from a guy named Frederick Beekner who talks about uh, calling or voc vocation mm -hmm. uh, as th as that place where your deep passion meets the world's deep need. Hmm. So the world has lots of needs, but when you can find the intersection of what really brings you alive, what brings you energy, um, uh, with the world's need, uh, that's a place that is a is a place of calling. Maybe that's a tap on the shoulder, to use the uh, the language that you used uh, earlier. So for me, satisfaction is it's it's fundamental. Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, if I have if I have a certain number of hours a week that I'm awake. Um, it, everything is easier when I am uh, energized and passion, passionate about it. But, but what David Brooks, I think, was saying is to just to ask an 18-year-old kid, you know, what are you passionate? Just go follow that thing. That's actually not the way that, uh, that meaningful careers and lives are, are uh, led. You know, that you find your passions over time, in the moment, with the tap on the shoulder, with the people that you're with. Uh, and I think that fits my experience and the experience of more of the people in my uh, uh, programs who I don't think many of them when they were five or six were thinking, I, I want to do this uh, work. When you go back to what you said in the very beginning, that leadership was reflection listening to yourself. I mean, you just brought it full circle to that. Our organization's called Leading From Within. Exactly. Right? And, and you know, anybody who works in nonprofit, they are, they, every one of them could make more money working somewhere else. So they are, there is something inside of them, their unique individual self, that is, that is bringing them into this, uh, this work. And so uh, if you don't attend to that, if, if you, th this is where things like burnout and exhaustion come from, where all of a sudden the, uh, you are not taking care of yourself, you're not tending to what you're passionate about in your work. And as you know, this also happens in business. How many times has somebody created a little business and they love the product or they love um, uh, you know, promoting the product, but the business is really successful and all of a sudden they're doing, uh, they're working with board and investors and uh, 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 HR and, and all of a sudden they're starting to hate their business despite the right, fact that it's right, being successful because right. they've moved away from the thing that was the passion that made them uh, really good at it to, uh, to begin. So I, I think it's, it's, it's satisfaction is hugely important. I think that's a great place to wrap. Okay. We're 45 minutes. That's very fast. Shaboom. <laughs> like that's what that. we do. That's what we that's do. That's what we do. We just, we, we're time evaporators here. Yeah, well, I, I love the, you know, the statement about being present, just talking about what's here right now, not, not, uh, not, not trying to get somewhere else. We, um, the, our listener knows that I'm an improver, and every Wednesday night you can find me doing improv, <coughs> and... And we get coaching like immediately, which is helps. And the most frequent um, area for us to improve is being present and understanding. It doesn't matter that you're coal miners and the thing is flooding and none of that matters. It's how do you feel about one another? And and we tend to try to want to make it funny or to do all of the other things you would assume where, no, 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 no. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that other person? Do you love them? Do you hate them? Mm -hmm. uh, all of those things. And actually, when you get good at that, for that two hours on Wednesday, I'm much better in life. Wow. That's, that's fairly powerful. Yeah. 
seems like improv is being used more and more in, in leadership and life. I see it all uh, the time. It's Second City figured that out and, yeah. and has made a, and it's fun and people like it. And it's, a, it's an easy way to get people on stage and there's games to play in that where you can take people who say, oh, I could never do that. I said, no, 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 no. That's what I thought. Well, can I just say hearing that, I'm terrified. So I know that maybe this needs to be on my agenda at some point in the future because that Absolutely. sounds terrifying. Wednesday, Wednesday yeah. night, okay. I would I would invite you. I'd love to. That's what happened to me. I got I didn't go kicking and screaming. I didn't know what we were going to, <laughs> and we got there. And there I haven't missed a Wednesday unless I'm traveling. It's that great. Wow. Can at this point now that we've got this great conversation uh, in the can. And it is uh, that we've got a list of titles of all these great and people you know, Seth Streeter and and uh, uh, tons of fabulous people. But our listener doesn't know the names of those people. So they're going to look at the title, like what should I listen to next? So if they're go scanning through that, what would we call this conversation? Well, I think I'd go with uh, what we landed on for the name of our organization, uh, Leading From Within. Perfect. I was going to veto it if he came up with anything else. That is, <laughs> I was, as you were describing, I'm like, he's got to call this leading from within. Excellent. No, it's yeah. it. That's, yeah. ex that's exactly what it is. Thank yeah. you so much. How do people find you, Ken? Uh, well, we have a website, which is uh, leading from within with hyphens between the words dot org. So that's a good place uh, to, uh, to start. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Appreciate Mark. It. Thank and you, Patrick. Thanks. Great to meet you. And thanks for the work you've done. I mean, just that, that you finding that you liked helping and you found a place to be able to help your I like surrounding myself with one percenters I mean people who really want to make a difference in whatever I'm, I'm agnostic on what it is yeah. but are they showing up present and you get you have every class year you're with people who want to be there what a how lucky are you? Oh, it, how lucky am I? Is right. These people are amazing. I, I feel very that. lucky to work with them every day. Yay! Yeah. Thank awesome. you. Thank you so much. You. And I also want to thank California Lutheran University's School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services, our podcasting partner, Polestring Press, and Cielo Twenty Four. The Eight Hundred Five Connect Project, now in our third year, is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region. I want to thank them as well. More information on the project at 805connect.com. Now, Patrick, um, how could someone, they've just been inspired by this conversation, yeah. well, how could they help? Well, I mean, uh, first and foremost, um, go out there to all the board members uh, from all of the boards that you belong to and get them subscribed to this podcast. Oh, there you there go. There you go. Find, find, yes. find a board member. Either, either you know a good nonprofit, you should probably join that board, or uh, you've, you already work on one. And, uh, you know, have, have all of those board members, those people that you like to work with, uh, listen to this podcast. Uh, we like having more listeners, but more importantly than that, we like to have proactive uh, quality community members uh, listening. So, uh, you know, find a board member to listen. I love that. I would love to hear from you personally as well. So you can introduce yourself, uh, t you know, write me a note to Mark at 805 Connect, and let me know what you like about the show. So until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.